Hope is a beautiful thing. Everybody needs hope. Uh, Maybe that's why we see the hope, or at least the search for hope, all over the place. Did you know that if you Google the word hope, it will pull up 618 million results in less than a second? And you will find that there are 55,555 people in the United States with the first name of Hope. There's the soccer star, Hope Solo. There's comedian, Bob Hope. There's my cousin over there in the Fellowship Center, Hope Proctor. You'll find 102 places in America with the name Hope, including three towns in Indiana, Hopetown, Hopewell, and New Hope. There's the Cape of Good Hope on the southern tip of Africa. Uh, There's the Hope Diamond, 45 carats, worth $250 million. Hope is Miley Cyrus's middle name. It's a former campaign slogan for Barack Obama, a rescued dolphin at an aquarium in Florida, a Saudi Arabian space probe, a Star Wars movie, a credit union, a TV channel, a blue whale skeleton at a museum in London, an Xbox game, and a former U.S. Navy vessel that was converted into a hospital ship. Opening day of baseball season just happened. If you're a baseball fan, you are probably hopeful, unless you are a Reds fan, in which case you are hopeless. Hope (laughs) is a beautiful thing. Everybody needs hope. But have you ever felt hopeless? Open your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're here and you're questioning what's true. Uh, Maybe you're here and you don't really want to be here. Maybe you're here and you're hurting. Regardless of what you're going through this morning, today's story, today's text has truth for you. Let's set the scene here before we get into the story. This story happens on Easter Sunday morning, but the two guys in this story, they don't know that it's Easter Sunday morning, okay? Jesus is alive, but they don't know it yet. And these two guys, they're friends, followers of Jesus, and they are hopeless. They are discouraged. They are dragging their feet because on Friday, Jesus died. They'd put all their hope in Jesus. They'd cashed in all their chips and bet them on him. And then he went and got himself murdered. They are hopeless. Let's catch up and see what Luke says, starting in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept... From recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Uh, So here's these two friends of Jesus, and and they're leaving Jerusalem, and they're going home to Emmaus, about a seven-mile walk. And these guys, we will learn that one of them, his name is Cleopas. The other guy, it doesn't tell us his name. We'll just call him no-name Norman, okay? And they are dragging their feet. They are disappointed. But as Cleopas and no-name Norman are walking along talking, all of a sudden, another traveler walks up along beside him. It's Jesus himself. And these guys are friends of Jesus. They know what Jesus looks like, but they don't recognize him. The text actually implies that Jesus kept them from recognizing him. Let's read on. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jesus is messing with them here a little bit. What things? Jesus is the thing that just happened, okay? But perhaps Cleopas and No Name Norman, they're a little bit offended by this stranger's ignorance. You can hear it in what they say. I mean, good grief, man. The whole city's talking about it. What, have you been in a cave for the last three days or something? <laughs> you can imagine the smirk on Jesus' face. So Cleopas and No Name Norman, they start to word vomit. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as these women had said, but, but they did not see Jesus. Listen to their tone here. These guys still love Jesus. He was, he was a great prophet, they said, but we'd, we'd hoped he was more. Plus, it's been the third day since he died. Jews believed that the spirit kind of hovered around the body until three days after death. But now three days were up. All hope was officially gone. These disciples may have heard one of the times when Jesus predicted that he would die and rise again on the third day. But here it is, day three, and they have no more cards up their sleeve. Jesus must just be out of tricks. And yet, there may still be a glimmer of hope, or, or at least a blur of confusion, because that empty tomb was baffling. Could it be that he had risen, but they'd been let down before, and they knew, and some of you know, that hope, hope can sometimes just be too risky. <laughs> so their fear and their skepticism won the day. Their hope had been dried up, worn out, exhausted, and spent. So instead of going out and, che and checking on the empty tomb themselves, they just decided to go home. Then Jesus speaks up. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So these guys accuse Jesus of being socially ignorant, and he accuses them of being scripturally ignorant. So Jesus, he launches into this teaching session. He shows them how from front to back, the whole Bible points to Jesus, to his death and resurrection. By the way, the Bible is not just a book of feel-good fairy tale stories or nice moral lessons. This book is about Jesus, and its primary aim is to lead you to know him. Every page whispers his name. Imagine walking in here to church on Easter Sunday morning, grabbing your bulletin, looking inside, and it says, today's preacher, Jesus. Text, whole Bible. <laughs> Topic, himself. <laughs> that would be the greatest sermon ever preached. I feel really bad that you guys have to sit up here and listen to me this morning. It goes on. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now, this was a social custom for the one person who had to keep traveling to act like he was going to walk on until the other people invited them in to stay because night it was too dangerous to travel at night. And so they invite him in, and Jesus comes in. By the way, that's a beautiful picture of the character of Jesus. 
He's not going to barge in. He's not going to force himself in. He's courteous. But man, if you invite him in, look what happens. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. (laughs) So all of a sudden, as Jesus gives thanks and breaks this bread, they recognize him. Now, I don't know what it is that made him recognize him. Maybe they'd been with him when Jesus was feeding the 5,000, and there was just something about the way he broke the bread that reminded him, perhaps. Or, Or maybe it was the way that he gave thanks to God and prayed. It was so intimate and authentic, perhaps. Or maybe it was when Jesus lifted up the bread to give thanks to God and his sleeves fell back on his forearms and they saw the scars in his hands, perhaps. I don't know what it was, but regardless, as soon as they recognize it's Jesus, poof, just like that, he's gone. Jesus is playful here. I love it. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So immediately, these two guys get up and they hustle back to Jerusalem with a little bit more spring in their step than the last time they were on this road. They ain't doing the disappointment drag anymore. They're doing the Jesus jog. They're doing the Savior sprint all the way back to the disciples. And when they get to where the 11 are, remember, it used to be 12 disciples. Now it's 11. Judas got a little hung up. He couldn't be there that day. And the two guys, they burst into the room to tell the 11 what happened. But before they can even get the story out of their mouths, everybody else starts telling their Jesus stories. And the air's just buzzing with excitement because all of a sudden, in the midst of their despair, there it was. A glimmer turned into a gleam, turned into a brilliant ray of light. Hope. Hope is a beautiful thing. Everybody needs hope. But have you ever felt hopeless? The guys in this story were facing a hopeless reality. The hopeless reality of a life that ends in death. A life with no resurrection. And if death is all there is, then what's the point of life? But let's be honest here for a second. A dead guy coming back to life is kind of hard to buy. Uh, Right? We've been told that only two things are certain in life, death and taxes. And one of these days, the government might collapse, and it might only be death we can be sure of. Because despite the efforts of doctors and technology and 47,000 new diet and exercise plans, the worldwide death rate is holding pretty steady at 100%. Somebody once said, the statistics on death are pretty clear. One out of every one person dies. (laughs) And 100% of those people tend to stay dead after dying. There was a lady one time who received a letter from the Department of Social Services in Greenville, South Carolina. And the letter said this, Dear ma'am, your food stamps will be stopped effective March 1992 because we received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reapply if your circumstances change. (laughs) And we laugh at that because we know that the circumstances don't change. 
When people die, they stay dead. There may be tracks leading into the grave, but there's no tracks leading out. But, in case you haven't noticed, today is April Fool's Day. I love April Fool's Day. I was talking with my dad on the phone this week, and my dad reminded me of one time when I was a kid, and on April Fool's Day, I put red Kool-Aid powder in his shower head. <laughs> that was a tasty shower. I love practical jokes. I love telling a good joke. I love hearing a good joke. Why do we laugh at jokes? Why do we like jokes? Because at the end, there's this little punchline, right? A twist, something unexpected that you didn't see coming. And so we laugh. Uh, there's a, a guy uh, who's getting ready to go to heaven. He's standing at the gates of heaven. Real skinny guy, you know, Coke bottle glasses, about 120 pounds, dripping wet. Angel comes up to him with a clipboard and says, all right, uh, well, before we let you in here to heaven, welcome, by the way, glad you made it. Uh, we need to make sure you're worthy. So can you tell us one selfless thing that you did during your life to make sure that you're worthy of coming into heaven? By the way, that's not how heaven works. You only get in by trusting Jesus, but bear with me, okay? So the guy thinks for a second and says, well... Yeah, there's this one time. I came to a gas station and I saw this big, burly, big, ugly guy, cut off leather jacket, said Hell's Angels across the back, and he's beating up this woman here at the gas station. He said, So I walked right up to that big guy and I kicked him in the shins. He turned around, I punched him in the stomach, and that woman got away. Angel said, Wow, really? That's, that's really impressive. How long ago did that happen? He said, Oh, about two or three minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> It's a punchline, right? <laughs> that little twist, something unexpected that you didn't see coming, and so we laugh. If you remember one thing I say this morning, remember this. God always gets the last laugh. God always gets the last laugh. Ultimately, death is going to come for each and every one of us. And like the guy in the joke, you never know when it's going to happen. But Easter is a time for laughter because we now know that death is not the end of the story. And God played the ultimate practical joke on the devil by blowing death to smithereens in the resurrection of Jesus. It was the ultimate punchline. Nobody saw it coming. In fact, in the ancient church, this unusual custom developed that on the day after Easter, Monday... The church folks would all gather together for a day of partying. They would eat and dance and sing and play pranks, and they'd just sit around and tell jokes to each other. The Latin term for it actually is risus pascalis, which means the Easter laugh, because it was rooted in the idea that God played the ultimate practical joke on Satan by raising Jesus from the dead. I love that. And Paul writes about this surprise in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. In other words... Nobody saw this coming except God. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the ultimate blindsided, left-handed trick. It's as if God gets this funny idea and says with a smile, hey, angels, come here, come here, come here. You're going to want to watch this one. <laughs> wow, devil, 
God, I hand it to you. You really got us there. I don't, I don't know what to do. I guess, I guess death wins. Psych. <laughs> That's our God. God always gets the last laugh. And that's why it's a crime to be bored in church. And that's why there is no better day for Easter than April Fool's Day. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering where your hope is. Easter's great and all, but it sure feels pretty hopeless where you are in life. Can life and hope and joy really pierce you? And come in your life, maybe it seems like you're too far gone. If that's you, take a look at this video from a man in our church. Watch what happened to him. I grew up in the church, went to church every Wednesday and Sunday. Was baptized when I was like 11 years old, but never had a true relationship with Christ. Got in a lot of trouble growing up, drugs, alcohol. I always say I had skin deep faith. I knew who God was, I believed in God. If you asked me, do you believe in God? I would say, yeah, I believe in God. But to actually know who God was, totally different story. I was lost. I tried to kill myself when I was 16 years old. Uh, ran a car into a tree at 85 miles an hour. Shouldn't be alive today. But that time in my life when I was like 15 to 17, my parents were going through struggles. You know, I was going through struggles. At that age, you think that your girlfriend is your life, you know, and things like that. So um, relationships, you, you bank everything on those kind of things instead of, you know, having a... True relationship with Christ. I went to Bible college um, out of high school. I thought I thought that by going to Bible college, I could change, you know, my ways. Ultimately, I found the same type of friends in college that I found in high school. So here I was at Bible college, still doing drugs, still partying. So ultimately, I wound up dropping out of Bible college and then going in the Air Force. Once I went into the military and went overseas and in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, uh, kind of wake-up call. You start getting, you know, you, hit, you hit, hit your knees a lot more. I've always been kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. My younger years, it was kind of almost like um, a cover-up. Um, but, you know, as I got older, um, I realized that my true joy comes from Christ. I have my own faith. I, I read the Word every day. And, you know, I have a relationship with God. And... I have a true joy now instead of trying to find joy in lots of other things. When I was when I was younger, I thought how how could there even be a place for me in heaven? The mistakes I've made, the things I've done. But I finally came to the reality as an adult that my past is my past. I can't change it. It's all about grace. Um, he is faithful to forgive us. We have to forgive ourselves. I have started understanding that forgiveness better. He tells us, you know, that he forgives us as far as the east is from the west. So each morning when we get up, it's a new day.
Have you ever felt hopeless? Maybe you're like Jim was. Maybe you're wondering where your purpose is, where your joy is, where your hope is. Maybe you've been searching for your hope in other things. Maybe today you're on the verge of giving up. But the fact that you're here means that there might still be a spark of hope in your heart that Jesus could do something for you. I've got good news for you, friend. Jesus is alive. And he wants to bring life into your heart too, a new kind of vibrant life that you've never known. So this story today, this true story, the resurrection, I think it means three things. I think first, the resurrection means for us rising to a healed heart. Maybe you're hurt today. Maybe you've had kids fall away or a marriage that seems stale or family conflict that just goes on and on and on. Maybe you're facing a legal battle ahead or stuck in a dead-end job. Maybe you're just hurt because the people that you trusted burned you. Maybe that fight that you keep fighting, you just keep struggling and it doesn't go away. I don't know what your hurt is, but I know that every one of us has scars on our hearts. And today, if you feel hopeless, I've got good news for you. Because Jesus wants to heal your heart. He brought hope and he brought life and he brought joy to the disillusionment and the disappointment of the men in this story. And he can do it for you too. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The resurrection means rising to a healed heart. Maybe today for you, the resurrection means rising to an enlightened heart. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure what you believe. You're not sure what is true. Maybe you don't know this Jesus guy. Maybe you're like the men on the road. You can't quite recognize who he is. Maybe you think that Jesus was just another nice guy. He was a good teacher. He had some nice moral lessons. But there's no way he's the only way to God. And there's no way he really was the son of God. And there's certainly no way he actually died and actually came back to life. And if that's you, I'm glad you're here. Come talk to us. Come join us. We want to walk along the road with you as you seek to discover what truth is. And we believe with 100% of who I am that it's only when you invite Jesus in and truly begin to explore that he can enlighten your heart and show you what's true. So come on in. We'd love to go down that journey with you. Maybe today for you the resurrection means rising to an enlightened heart. Thirdly, I think the resurrection means rising to a burning heart. Rising to a burning heart. Maybe you've been gone from God for too long. Maybe you used to have a relationship with him, but it's gone stale. Maybe your life is stagnant and you stopped growing spiritually a long time ago. Maybe you've lost that passion that you once had, the fire. Or maybe you've never had it. Maybe you've been feeling your heart grow cold and hard. When Jesus died, his body lay cold and dead in a tomb for one day Two days. But on that third day, Jesus' cold, dead heart began to beat. And that stiff, clotted blood began to flow warm through his veins again. And his amino acids reignited and his molecules re-knit themselves together. And finally, the rigor mortis gave way as the Son of God sat up, gave a big old stretch, and strode triumphantly from the tomb. And that's what Jesus can do for your heart when you let him in. He will bring you into a new kind of burning, vibrant, full life like you've never known. The resurrection means rising to a burning heart. Because on Easter morning, against all odds, death, the irreversible, was reversed. And all of a sudden, hope broke into the darkness. We're getting ready to come to a time of communion. We're going to drink the cup and take the bread. And we're going to remember Jesus' body and blood. The gift of his death on the cross for our behalf. But the cross was not the end of the story. I heard a story about a guy who was driving home from church Sunday afternoon in the car with his five-year-old son, and they drove past the cemetery, 
And this, this five-year-old boy looks out the window and he saw the pile of dirt from a freshly dug grave and he said, look, Dad, one got out. <laughs> and today, we are here because we believe that one got out. That this actually happened. That it's not just some kind of nice spiritual experience or a sweet little fairy tale, but that this is true and that Jesus is bringing us into a new kind of life with him where death has no sting and hell has no victory. But we don't only believe that one got out. We also believe that he's not the only one. And that when you follow Jesus, he can bring you into new life too. And death doesn't have to be the end of your story. So today, if you're in a grave of hopelessness and depression, Jesus can bring you out. If you're in a grave of financial stress, Jesus can bring you out. If you're in a grave of health troubles, Jesus can bring you out. If you're in a grave of conflict with loved ones, Jesus can bring you out. If you're in a grave of addiction, Jesus can bring you out. If you're in a grave of a meaningless job and the same old routine and a life with no purpose, Jesus can bring you out. If you're in a grave of disillusionment and shattered dreams, Jesus can bring you out. And it may be dark in the grave where you are right now, but the beautiful news is that when you follow Jesus, there's always a punchline coming because God always gets the last laugh. Hope. Is a beautiful thing. Everybody needs hope, and Jesus is our only hope. Man, life down here can be rough sometimes, but aren't you sure glad God still raises the dead? Let's sing together.